Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Today we begin reading in verse 26. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe at once, he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. So my wife Mary and I are pulling out of our driveway the other afternoon. I had been working in the yard. I'm looking across the freshly mown grass and I'm noticing it's been a day or so that the nutgrass is sprouting up above the Bermuda. And I say to nobody in particular, how come? Why does that grass always outpace everything else that we're trying to grow? You've probably seen it. Either nutgrass in your yard that runs the freshly mown look that you're going for, or other kinds of vegetation that sprout and grow, and we wonder why. How does that happen? It's a common image this time of year, so many things growing and sprouting. Jesus uses common images to craft images of the spiritual life that we cannot see. That is, Jesus uses visual images that are common to us all to help us connect with God, to perceive things that are harder to understand or comprehend by tying things like the kingdom of God, the things like scattering seeds on the ground, or seeing something small like a mustard seed grow into a great bush. These kind of images stretches us to think more deeply about our own lives and our lives in connection to God and who God is and how God is working. When Jesus begins to use these images, it engages our visual part of our brains, our imaginations as well, inviting us to think more deeply, often leave us wondering, is the kingdom of God really like a mustard seed? How is that? How does that work? What does He mean? And we're lured into thinking more deeply about our faith. Parables are designed to provoke us. To provoke us into thinking more about faith and more about God and how our lives and God's life connect. What life is like if we're living in line with God or in the kingdom of God. And perhaps not only thinking about it, 
but maybe even provoking us to action on behalf of God's love in the world. Often these kinds of stories, these parables, these images that different teachers use, that Jesus uses over and over, help us to think beyond what we think we already know. Help us to grasp a new perspective, to see something in a new light. Dr. Karen Armstrong is a professor at Oxford in religious history. She's written a variety of books. One of her more recent one is called 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. It came out a few years ago. I've been reading it this year to see those steps that she's laying out and how they go with our gospel readings as we go through this liturgical year. Step 7, she invites us to think about how little we know particularly to think about how little we know when we're talking about transcendent things, things that are beyond verification with our physical senses. She talks about how hard it is for people sometimes to comprehend what's going on in their spiritual lives or to comprehend what sacred scriptures are saying about God and the holy. She says it's important for us to think about faith and to wonder about what God is doing in our lives. She uses an ancient story to help us think about this. She says, imagine a frog at the bottom of a well. She says, at first, the frog looks up and sees the sky and thinks they're seeing the whole sky. And then they jump up to the rim one day and they look around and they recognize the vastness of the sky and it changes their perception forever sometimes we mistake a portion of what we have grasped for the whole thing and she cautions us against that particularly when we're thinking about things in the spiritual realm she writes this religion is at its best when it helps us to ask questions and holds us in a state of wonder. And Jesus apparently agrees because He tells one parable after another which cause us to ask questions, that cause us to wonder, what is He talking about? What is He saying? What is He hoping we will grasp about life with God with this story? When we look at parables, because they do use images, there's all kinds of questions you might think of. There's a whole variety of insights you might have. As I was reading through these two short parables he uses today, I found myself thinking about three particular insights. I want to share them with you in our time this morning. The first insight comes from the very first parable where he's talking about that someone can go out and scatter seed and then it sprouts and grows and the person who scattered it's just going on with their life and all of a sudden there it is. And the farmer or the sower doesn't know how. How did it get there? How did it grow? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 28. He says the earth produces of itself the earth produces of itself i believe what he's saying is that god was creating before us 
that God was at work long before we were aware of it. We had nothing to do with it, but God created. And as God was creating, God provided for us. God works without us to create. And in that creation, God provides for us. The earth, Jesus says, produces of itself. Recently, we had a Ramadan dinner here. We were breaking fast with some of our interfaith neighbors. We provided the room. They brought the food and the program. If you're not familiar with it, this month of Ramadan is a month-long period of fasting for Muslims. You can think of it sort of like the season of Lent for Christians, where many Christians fast for a day, a week, or certain hours of the day, throughout Lent, that kind of thing. Well, for the Muslims, they fast from sunup to sundown 30 days straight. So then at the end of the day, after having no food or water, they eat or break fast and celebrate God's goodness. As part of the program, one of the women that spoke about her experience of fasting in Ramadan talked about how it made her so very aware of how God provides for her physically, that when she's going without food and water, she recognizes how much she needs and wants that. And she said she realized when she was fasting how quickly she would die without God's provision. That in fact, all life would end if God didn't provide for us in creation. Now, she's from a different faith group, but I think she's making the same point Jesus makes in our parable today when He says the earth provides or produces of itself. There's a second thing here that I think will help us. It goes right on the heels of the first one. The earth produces of itself is the first part of verse 28. Then Jesus goes ahead to say, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. The second insight I hear Jesus pointing out is that life with God or life in the kingdom is a growth process. Jesus goes on to elaborate about this in that second parable as He talks about the mustard seed. Let me read it for you. He says it like this, that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I think the suggestion here is that life with God or life in the kingdom is one where there's an expectation that growth will happen. So if we're trying to live our lives in line with God, if we're living our lives in the kingdom of God, it seems to me what Jesus is saying, then we should be growing. That there's a built-in mechanism in terms of life with God that helps us grow. How have you let God grow you lately? Have you taken advantages of opportunities for growth? 
Are there things you should be doing, places you should be going that would put you in a better position to be connected with God? Are there opportunities you could take advantage of? You might ask yourself, how am I nourishing my spiritual life? How am I nurturing my spiritual growth over these summer months or during this year? Important questions for us to grapple with from time to time that Jesus raises by telling us these parables today. The third insight comes very closely related to the second in terms of how things grow. But if I was going to summarize it, I think you could say that what Jesus is saying, small start, big results. Small start. Big results. Jesus says this mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Now that may be an exaggeration, but the point is you you grasp it. These things with God, they start small, like a tiny seed that maybe you wouldn't even notice to begin with. But then what happens? He tells us in verse 32, He says, yet when the smallest seed is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So it seems that he's saying is not only is growth expected and built in with life with God or life in the kingdom, but you can expect it to grow big enough to provide you rest or respite or shade or refreshment for the journey. I thought about the Apostle Paul and how he describes his growth in faith or his growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. At one point, he's talking about his experience as a follower of Christ. And he says he's having this experience that's like a thorn in his side or a thorn in his flesh. It was bothering him so much that he asked Jesus three times to take it away, and it did not happen. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but I'm going to read you just a couple of verses of what he says happened after that. This is in verse 9. He says, After asking the Lord to take it away three times, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. It is a single shift In Paul's faith, my grace is sufficient for you. Heretofore, he thought he had to carry the weight of his religious experience. And then in the midst of his hardships where he's struggling, he realizes God is saying to him through Christ, my grace, my love, my presence, my power is sufficient for you. He recognizes 
that God is with him even in the midst of the obstacles and the hardships and the calamities and the failures and the frailties of his life. It's a small step, but it has huge implications for the rest of his life and the rest of ministry. And in fact, huge implications for Christian theology from that time on when each of us can hear God's good news saying to us, My grace is sufficient for you. Or we could think about the path that Jesus took in terms of things starting small. What did He do? He called one disciple. Then He called two got up to 12, walked around the countryside telling stories, telling these parables, eating with people, asking people to share their food. If you think about how his ministry started, nothing too spectacular, doing a little storytelling, eating with others, teaching in villages like Nazareth, population 200, It didn't start big. It started small. Small start. But of course, we know today that the results have been worldwide. The implications of what started so very small cannot be overestimated. His influence in the world has become so vast and mighty. Jesus says that's the way life in the kingdom goes. It starts like a little seed. Grows into a great bush, but not just for itself, but also to provide shade or rest or respite or refreshment for others. I thought of this illustration that I'd heard years ago. I can't even remember where I first heard this. But it's an it's a illustration of the same dynamic, but it has to do with how you think about money. It starts with a question. Would you rather have $1 million or start with a penny, allowing it to double every day for a month? And so if you're able to do math in your head, you can think real quickly, a million or let's see, a penny, the doubles to two, to four, to eight, to 16, to 32... I have 64 cents at the end of the week. Or I can have a million dollars. The million looks pretty good. If you can continue to double it every day, then at the end of the second week, so about 14 days, up to $81.92. The million dollars looks clearly to be the best deal. If you multiply it on out to the end of the third week, you're up to $10,000. But that still pales in comparison with the million dollar offer, so you think that's got to be the one. But you know what happens if you continue to multiply? By day 30, you're up over $5 million. All of a sudden, it's clear that's the better deal. But oh, it starts so small. But then there's these huge results over time. Jesus says in these parables today, life in the kingdom is like that. Small start. Big results. 
Do you know the name Osceola McCarty? I thought of this story I'd heard a few years ago. Then I looked up the story and realized I actually heard it two decades ago. Time flies. Osceola McCarty was what you would call a washerwoman a few decades ago. She lived in southern Mississippi. She took in people's clothes that were dirty. She washed them. She dried them. She ironed them. And she gave them back. And it would only cost you a buck or two. She never made more than $9,000 in any given year. Her story, though, is interesting. She was raised by her grandmother. She dropped out of school in the sixth grade because her grandmother was getting older and had some health problems and needed some help. So in the sixth grade, she drops out of school and begins to help her grandmother wash dry and iron clothes. She works that way in that same small town the rest of her life all the way up until she's in her mid-80s. Once she gets there, her banker friend comes to her and says, Osceola, what do you want me to do with your money when you die? For you see, she had never married, had no children. All of her extended family had predeceased her and the banker knew that she had saved about every dollar she made. She says she never needed anything that she didn't have, and so she just saved the rest. When he asked her what to do with the money, she said, I think I'd like it to go to the university. The University of Southern Mississippi is just a few miles down the road from where she lived. She said, I'd like for it to go to scholarships so that other young people could get the education I never had opportunity to receive. And she says, in fact, now that you have me thinking about it, I think I'd like to go ahead and give the money now. Maybe I'll live long enough to see one of those students that can benefit from my scholarships actually graduate from college when the University of Southern Mississippi received her gift from a woman who never made more than $9,000 a year, was $150,000. How many students will benefit from Osceola's gift? Small start. Big results. Jesus says life with God is like that. Jesus says life with God is like someone who takes a small seed and casts it on the ground. 